right, the kids can head out to Children's Church. And we are going to stay in here and get going, talking a little bit more about the vital signs. So we've been talking about living in vitality all year, but now it's time to kind of assess it, uh, take our spiritual pulse and see how we're doing. Last week we talked about authenticity, how authenticity is the opposite of counterfeit. If something is authentic, it's not counterfeit. If it's counterfeit, it's not authentic. They're kind of opposites. It's one or the other. We talked about how authenticity is grounded in identity and not in feelings. Feelings come and go, feelings change, but identity in God does not. And we talked about how authenticity shows a desire to only please one. When most people, uh, when most non-Christians talk about being authentic, they mean I'm going to stop trying to please everybody else and I'm just going to seek what I want. I'm going I'm to be honest to myself. I'm going to be real. For the Christian, though, we look and we say, you know what, it's right. We're not here to please those around us any longer. But we're not also here to please ourselves. We only have one that we're going to please, and that is the Father in heaven. And that in doing so, we find ourselves being authentic. So this week we're going to talk about a, another sign, another vital sign that we have. Uh, interestingly, uh, it's a bizarre one, and I'll explain it here in a second. Uh, it's the topic of prosperity. Prosperity. Now, before you start wondering... Uh, we're going to get into this a little bit because this really doesn't have much to do with wealth, even though when we hear the word prosperity or prospering, we think of wealth. That's what we think of in our minds. But prosperity is much bigger than that. And interestingly enough, did anyone else see this this week? Jeff came in and, and he mentioned it. I read it this week. Bizarre. Bizarre. I, I couldn't believe I read it. So if you know who Benny Hinn is, uh, Benny Hinn is a health and wealth, prosperity gospel. That's, that's what he would have called himself as, the, as, a, as a, uh, a preacher of the prosperity gospel, that uh, if you are faithful, God will make, you, will make you rich. And if you aren't rich, it's, there's a lack of faith. And uh, so they would get on there on the television show. Or in, I mean, he, he, he'd pull in tens, 20,000 people around doing uh, healing ceremonies, which is fine, but then then he would say to things like on the television, if you send in $100, God is telling me he's going to, he's going to return that $100 to you tenfold, a hundredfold, a thousandfold, whatever it was. And, and he was doing that. He, would, he was one of those that would say, God has told me that I'm supposed to have a plane. And, and then would get people to send in money under the guise that uh, if they give, then God will financially give back to them. He came out this week, renounced it, bizarre. Renounced it after decades of teaching this. Renounced it. Actually said, when I do that, I now realize every time I have been grieving God's spirit. Now, for those of us that kind of follow the things that go on in overall Christianity and in different things, that's a big deal. That is a that's that's a big deal. So we are going to be talking about what I think maybe he picked up on, and that's just weird that he, he did that this week. I'm not trying to say that as I prepared it, he was transformed. I'm not saying that uh, that happened. I'm just saying that it's just bizarre that he did that the week I was preparing this lesson. So most of us, when we use the concept of prosperity or prospering, we do so within the context, the confines of uh, a financial gain. When we say we prosper, we mean we are acquiring wealth. 
When we say we have prosperity, we mean that we are holding wealth. And we define it that way. We, do, we, use, we connect with the word prosperity basically three things in this world, and that is wealth, power, or influence. So the more influence I have, the more prosperous I am. The more power I have, the more prosperous I am. Or the more money I have, the more prosperous I am. And that's how we kind of define it. But prosperity, if you, if you actually get to an understanding of what it means, despite the fact that we almost solely use it in a, in a concept that has to do with finances, it is much bigger than that. So let's for a moment ask ourselves, what is, what is prosperity? What does it mean to prosper? And let's remove any connection to wealth, power, or influence. Let's just remove that for a moment and examine what this word is without that. So we know that to prosper is to have success. But we're considering and we're asking ourselves, what, what is prosperity without wealth, without power, without influence? So I asked myself this morning, I ask you, what is success? What does it mean to have success? And so I went through in my mind and uh, I realized and thought, well, you know what? Success is, is really defined in my life, in most people's lives, as it's the accomplishment of a goal. Right? I set out to do something and I did it, therefore I am successful. I, I had success in what I set out to do. But as my mind does, I said, well, okay, I just uh, defined the word success with another word, and that was the word goal. So what does it mean to have a goal? And so I thought about that for a while this week. What does it mean for me to have a goal? And I came to this. A goal, it's, a, it's an objective that we want to reach, right? A goal in my life is an objective, something I want to accomplish, and I'm going to set out to, so I set a goal. Here's what I'm going to do, the time frame, whatever it is, and I'm going to make this happen. Well, then, as diseased as my mind is, I went and I said, well, now I've just given myself another word to define, which is uh, the word um, uh, objective. So I've I've come from prosperity is success in life. Success is achieving a goal. A goal is accomplishing an objective. Guess what came next? What's an objective? What is an objective? And I realized that an an objective... It's a step along a plan. I have a plan that has objectives. It has steps that I take. And each one moves me further along in this plan. Well, then I ask myself, what's a plan? It's just how it went. What is a plan? And then a plan is basically an organized way to fulfill a purpose. I'm supposed to do something, so I I organize it. I make a plan. In that plan, uh, I set objectives. For those objectives, I then set goals. And as I accomplish those goals, I can mark off success, which is me prospering in that plan. 
So I came down to very simply, this is what we're going to put up there. It's a really good, uh, convoluted way to get there, but prosperity is the increase in the fulfillment of purpose. I have a purpose, and the more I fulfill that purpose, the more I prosper, the more I increase, the more I come to be what I was supposed to be, more today than I was yesterday. That's what prosperity is. But then it shouldn't make, it shouldn't confuse us then if the only, see, the reason prosperity only gets connected with wealth and power and influence is because, guess what, we as human beings, we believe and see ourselves as only having three purposes, influence, power, and wealth. And so we go through our lives trying to gain an increase in what it is we think we are supposed to be. And so we only define prosperity as wealth, power, and influence, but that is not how God sees it, and it is not merely limited to those purposes. Jesus, when he was talking about our needs, it, 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 it's interesting because he's talking about, you know, we're, we're worried about what we're going to wear, what we're going to, and, and I, I don't have it up here because it came to me right before first service. Uh, we had this, 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 we're worried about what we're going to wear, what we're going to eat. Again, worried about money. So what is, what is Jesus' response? He says, he says, consider the birds of the air. They don't gather. They don't do any of it. They just, God takes care of them. But then he also says, consider the lilies of the field. Why, did, why is he bringing up lilies? Because here is a living thing that grows and increases and prospers without any money, without any wealth, without any influence. It just grows because it is made to grow. And Jesus is saying, look at the lily. It does what it's supposed to do. Look at the birds of the air. They just do what they're supposed to do. When you fulfill the purpose for which you were created, that is when you find prosperity. When you increase in the fulfillment of that purpose. And we know, we know internally that prosperity isn't just wealth. When we go into the doctor, you take a child in. There's two measurements they take that they don't always take with me. What are the two measurements that kids get that adults don't necessarily get? Height and weight. I can't remember the last, now, uh, unfortunately, my doctor likes to take weight and point it out to me. Fine. Uh, but I have not had my height checked in decades. I've not gone into the doctor and him been like, oh, let's see how high you are now. I'm 35, dude, because I, 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 I'm, not, I'm not growing like that anymore. But when a child's coming in, it's a measure, right? You get up there, they got the little thing, they pull it down on the kid's head, and they want to know how tall the kid is. Has he grown? And if he shrinks, there's something wrong. And they actually have this, this table, I've seen this, this growth chart of what healthy growth is, and anything outside of that, that chart is considered problematic, that if they are growing too fast or not growing fast enough, that might indicate that there's a problem with the body. What we see is, is that growth and increase is a sign. Prosperity is a sign of life. If we are not increasing, we are decreasing. 
if we are not growing. So as we apply this to our spiritual life, we are not looking to God to bring us spiritual prosperity in the sense that we are looking for wealth of finances, or mammon as Jesus calls it. We are looking for prosperity of spirit. So in uh, Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11, God says, For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. This is a promise that is not connected to wealth, power, or influence. May God give you wealth and power and influence because he has a purpose that requires it. Yes, he may do that. But God has a purpose for you. Every one of you, God knew you before you were born. He knew the number of hairs on your head. He knew the number of days you were going to live. And he had a design. We have a unit. We have a purpose as people, but you have an individual purpose as well. And part of our spiritual life is understanding that, grasping a hold of that. So, Here's some questions. These are the questions I just want us to go through. Four questions to help us assess ourselves, the vital sign. I mean, assessing our prosperity of spirit. The first thing is this. Do you know your purpose? Do you know what it is? Are you aware of it? What God is wanting to do with you and use you for? What it is you were created for? Because if prosperity is the fulfillment of purpose then in order for you to be prosperous, you have to know your purpose. You have to know what it is that you're here to do. So in Proverbs 29, verse 21, it says, Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. So you and I in our lives, we are—we get to choose. This kind of goes back to last week, the authenticity. Who is it that we're going to please, ourselves or our God? There's only one that we can choose to do. Do we follow the plans that we have for our lives? Or do we follow the purpose that he has for us? Which is it that we choose to do? Do you know what that purpose is? Paul says to the Ephesians, he says this in Ephesians 2.10, he says, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for, so there it is, let you know, here's your purpose, here's why you are made in Christ. You are created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in. Pretty deep passage when you start asking yourselves, you're thinking about prosperity and purpose. Paul says, you are the work of God. He is working on you. He is working in you. But he created you in Jesus with a plan he knew before you existed. He had a plan that was for you that you should do what he has made you to do. The point, of the, the point of the purpose is to fulfill it. 
So God is wanting us to be prosperous in what he's made us to be. He had plans before you were born. That's, that's pretty awesome. I, I have this thought that runs through my head at times. We know from 1 Corinthians 13 that when we are, I, I, let, let me say this, I, I know where I'm going when I die. I know where I'm going. And I also know that I don't deserve it, so that's, that's a good thing. I'm aware of that as well. But I know where I'm going. I know who I belong to. But I also know that on that day, the veil, this human understanding that has kept me from seeing everything truly is lifted. First Corinthians 13 tells us that. And in that moment, I don't know if you've ever thought of this, I, I sit and I, I wonder what all of, the, all of the plans that God had for me that I didn't do. Have you ever, have you ever thought of that? Have you ever thought, what plans did he have for me or does he have for me that I'm not going to do? And then I kind of get disappointed in myself, which sounds negative, but it's actually, a, it's actually a good thing. If I'm disappointed in not fulfilling his purposes, that tells me I want to fulfill his purpose. Does that make sense? If I, di if I didn't care about fulfilling his purposes, I'd never be disappointed that I didn't meet him. So that's a good thing. It is okay at times in our spiritual life to look at things and find ourselves disappointed in ourselves. That's okay. Because that points to a heart that desires him and wants to follow him. And it's good to remind ourselves that it is possible. Not possible. It's, we're going to miss things. So we, we do what Peter says, right? That we stay alert. We keep a sober mind. We keep a watch out. We do. We are made for these works. Let's get them done. Let's do them. Not because they're going to save us, but because God saved us so that we could do them. What was the point of the salvation if we do not fulfill the purpose to which we were saved? So you and I, we, we ask ourselves, I ask you, do you know the purpose? God has... Every relationship you are in, you are in for a reason. Every job you've had, you've had for a reason. The family you have, you have for a reason. All of these things are not coincidental accidents. Even if you don't look at it as God directly orchestrating them, God foreknew where you would be and had a plan for you to be effective with Jesus in those places. His plan is custom-tailored to you, to your family, to your work, to your everything. He knew you beforehand and made these plans. So ask yourself, what is, what is my purpose in the family? What is my purpose in the church? What is my purpose at work? What, what, why does God have me here? What is it that he wants me to do? Number two, do, ask yourself, do you, do we trust God to set our path? Do you trust God to set your path? In Isaiah chapter 46, verses 8 to uh, 10, Isaiah says, Remember this and be brave. Take it to heart, you transgressors. 
remember what happened long ago. For I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me. I declare the end from the beginning and ancient times from what is still to come, saying, My purpose will stand in all my good pleasure. I will accomplish. What is he saying here in Isaiah? It isn't as necessarily as confusing as it might come across. He's saying, take heart. Trust in me. I am God. There is no other. And what I like that he says is he says, I declare, I declare the end from the beginning. Before you set your foot to the path, I have already declared what is going to happen and what the end is going to be. So let me, let me put that into a very, very simple and practical terms. Uh, and I want you to answer. I want you to answer this. Church, do you believe that God will provide for you in this life? Do you believe that he will always love you and nothing can separate you from that? Do you believe that regardless of what happens in this world or what this world does to you, that you have a home that is waiting for you in heaven? You say those things because God has already told you the outcome of your life. He's already told you. Eternity. Are you going to face suffering? Yeah. But you know what? He's told you that too. And he's going to be with you. Will you face illness? Yeah, you're going to face illness. But he will strengthen you. Everything that is in your future has already been declared. The outcome is already certain. And so I ask, do you trust this God that has, you say, you say that you believe these things that he declared to be true about your destiny. If we really, truly believe that, do we not turn over our life to his purpose? Do we not allow him the right to lead through us? In Romans eight twenty eight, Paul says it this way. He says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Isn't it funny? I mean, I, almost all of these passages talk about his purpose, his purpose, his purpose, his plan. This plan for you, when you submit to it, you may not know what will happen to you in each moment, but I can promise you, because he promised you, that good or bad, ease or difficulty, health or sickness, he will use whatever, even if it isn't from him, even if the world and Satan is throwing their garbage at you and trying to tear you down, even the bad things in this world God will take, and he promises, I will make use of Which is better, to suffer and have nothing come of it, 
or suffer and allow our God to make something out of it. That's what we have to choose. I think sometimes we don't follow God because we're afraid of the suffering, we're afraid of the consequences, we're afraid of the negative responses that we're going to get, we're afraid that we're going to face persecution or whatever it is. All of those things are already coming. All of those things, whether Christian, every non-Christian is going to face illness and sickness and financial difficulty. They're going to have everything that they own, everything they've ever possessed taken away from them in the moment of their death. The end is all the same. But for those who are called according to his purpose, those who are in that purpose, that trust that purpose, he will work all of it. Thirdly, ask this question, not only have you, do you trust him to set your path, but have you embraced his purpose for you? And I kind of use the example of, uh, I can rem- remember the kids when we were, when we were, when they were younger and we were younger, everyone was younger, and we would go and go to the pool and you would have the kids stand on the side and you'd sit there as dad or mom and you'd be like, all right, jump in, I'm going to catch you. Now, any of you that have been parents have done this, you know, initially, almost initially, universally, they don't want to jump, they're terrified, they're not sure. What are they unsure of? Well, they've ne- you've never caught them before. You're saying that you're going to catch them, but they're not, really, they're not really sure. And what does that feel like? And what's the experience? And so they're, they're tentative, and, they're, they're, and you're like, come on, jump, jump, jump. And you've got to keep urging them, trust me, I'm going to catch you. Oh, you're going to catch, I'm going to catch you. And, and they're timid, and then maybe they finally jump, and you catch them, and everything's fine, and they realize you know, everything isn't going to fall apart. That's kind of the last point we were doing. You know, do you trust him to set your path? We're there, that kid, that first time, sitting there going, I don't know if I trust him. Am I going to jump? Am I going to leap? And sometimes we leap and we get back out and we're still not sure. You know, is he going to catch me the second time? I don't know. But this third point, it's the point where your kid is, I mean, it's, it's almost obnoxious because now, now they trust you to catch him even when you're not looking. The kid jumps on your head from the side because he doesn't care. You know, you're not even looking. He just cracks right into you. Why? Because he just trusts you that much. He is embraced that you are going to be there for him. You are going to secure him. And even if you don't see it coming, it doesn't matter. You are there. And that is a great place to be when you embrace that kind of trust, when, when, when you embrace it that way, when you understand your relationship. And so we should get to the point where it's not a matter of, am I trusting him? Am I going to trust him? I already trust him. I'm jumping in. Even if he's not looking, I'm just going to trust that God's going to catch me. And, you know, I'm going to make... God wants that kind of a relationship. You know, we sit back and we throw ourselves in, my, in our minds. We can sit there and say, well, does God really want me to jump in? When, I don't know, man. Look at Peter. Why was Peter, like, the disciple? I mean, he was the rock. Why was he the rock? It wasn't because he was stable. He wasn't stable. That's not a word I would use for him. He trusted God so much. Yeah, sometimes he jumped when he shouldn't have been, and it got him in trouble. But that's a quality that God wants. You kind of see that through the Scripture. Do you have that kind of a relationship that you know your God has your future? Your God has your life. You know your purpose. You don't, not only do you trust him to set it, you are running full ahead. And even if you mess it up, you know he's going he's gonna to pick it up. He's going to fix it. 
and move on. So in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 8 through 9, Paul says this but to Timothy. He says, Do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner. Don't worry about the, don't worry about the consequences of knowing us. But share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. Do you see this pattern coming up? There is a purpose given to you that preexisted you. That even, even if the purpose is to run headlong into suffering, it's infinitely worth it. Can you embrace him with such reckless abandon. So in Philippians 2, 12 to 13, Paul says, Therefore, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now even more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act on behalf of his good purpose. So continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Again, now he's not talking about your works. What is he saying? Allow God to do his work through you. That's how you work out your salvation. That is how you keep yourself connected to him. You and I, we have this relationship with him, and, and, and we are supposed to be opening up this our life, our existence, less of me, more of him, so that he's able to move through me and do more through me. That's why we were saved. The more we embrace it, the more we allow him to just move through us. And so Paul says, you know what? Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, knowing that it is God who is working through you. And so we always have someone ask, well, why, what does that mean, work out your salvation with fear and trembling? Well, the reality is I, I hear it echoing the words of Jesus, where, where Jesus said, do not fear the... Inevitably, inevitably, there's something we respect. We fear more than something else. Christ said, do not fear the one who can destroy the body, but fear the one who can destroy both body and soul in hell. His point there is not that God is looking for a way to throw you into hell. He's setting, he's setting an understanding. Whatever you think people can do for you or against you, is nothing compared to what God can do against you or for you. The one that deserves your respect, your fear, your honor is God. So when Paul says to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, allowing God to work through you, he's saying do not fear what people think, don't be afraid. You let God, you unleash him in your life. Last thing is this, this question. Are you bearing fruit? So inevitably, most of us, when we think of fruit, think of, well, I guess it depends on the church you grow up in, the people that talk to you. I was raised that fruit was other Christians. It was converts. That uh, when, when Jesus talks about abiding in me and you'll bear much fruit, what that meant is that a bunch of people are going to come to Jesus because, because, of, um, because of who you are and what you're doing. 
I'm going to tentatively say this. If that's the case, then Jesus wasn't very good. If that's the case. Because by the second year of his ministry, he had built a following of 5,000 people, and they were following him everywhere. In that last year, though, he whittled that 5,000 down to 120. And by the time that he was arrested, there were only two who stood in his presence at his crucifixion. The rest wanted not, they were gone. They were hiding. Not real effective. If we judge fruit according to conduct. John 15, 1 through 6, Jesus said, I am the vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch that is in me does not bear fruit, he takes away. Every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. The branch can do nothing on its own. It only bears fruit when it's connected. We only prosper as we are connected to the vine, as we are connected to Christ. That is why prosperity is a good vital sign of your relationship. The closer you are with Christ, the more fruit you will bear. The more disconnected you are, the less you will bear. So what is the fruit? If it isn't Christ, what is it? Galatians 5, 22 to 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. I know I'm being if I am a tree and I create What is the point of that fruit? Paul's telling us the fruit that we produce, what produces in us as the Holy Spirit lives in us, as we are connected to Christ, is love, joy, peace, patience, all of these things. These are the fruit. But what is the point of the fruit? Why do we bear fruit? What is, what is the fruit supposed to do? So you could look at a tree, you look at a plant, whatever it is, when it bears fruit, does the fruit just hang on it? No, it does not. It falls to the ground or it is plucked. If it is plucked, it is to nourish whatever took it. The fruit is born to nourish life that is already there. But the fruit also falls in order to create new plants. What? Why does, that, why does this even matter? It matters. It matters because I want you to understand that the more I love, the fruit of love, as love comes out of me because of my connection with Christ, it is doing one of two things. It is either being planted in the life of someone who does not know Christ, does not know salvation, and may grow up into something. That love may change them, and they may convert. That doesn't make them the fruit. It makes love the fruit. Love is the fruit that was planted that grew inside of them. Or 
for those who are Christians and struggling and hurting, my love then nourishes their life that's already in existence. We produce fruit to produce life in others. God wants me to be loving because love changes the dead to life and reinvigors the living. He wants me to have peace. He wants me to share joy. He wants me to be patient, to show kindness, to spread goodness. Because all of these fruits they're planted. Now if you look at Jesus and you ask yourself did he dump a lot of love Kindness and goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And I'd say there was no person ever living who shared more. So do not ask yourself, are people coming to Jesus because of my life? these fruits? Are these qualities blossoming in your life? Because this is what comes from an intimate relationship with Jesus. This is the fruit. If you want to assess your spiritual prosperity, am I increasing in love? Am I increasing in joy, peace, Am I more gentle than I was yesterday? See, Christ is looking to have a relationship with all of us to produce this fruit because this world, it needs nourished. And the fruit that we provide nourishes it, brings life to it. He's looking for you who are Christians to be life-givers. For those that have never accepted him, he's looking to make that connection and bring that life into you. Let's stand. We're going to sing our song of invitation. If there's anything that we can do to help you, support you, minister to you, let us do so. Let's come forward.